All right, we're learning <coughs> the afternoon. Hey, we're starting for the mission on the top of the office. The mission says, Someone is taking a nether that he's not going to get benefit from dugan. So the question is what dugan means. So the, the, the idea is that in the real etymology of the word, like the technical meaning, is that it's uh, some sort of thing which has a smooth pile on top. So usually a reference is to, to, to green, where you would uh, pile it up and then smooth off the pile on the top. So it's like a pile of uh, with, a, with a smooth top. And it can also come sometimes referred to like a granary or something like that. So I, I, I guess if you would break it down in like an encyclopedic type of thing, like it doesn't mean specifically grain. It doesn't mean specifically vegetables or fruits. It, it just kind of is referring to the pile, um, which is smooth at the top. But the question, again, it's not about what the word technically means. It's about the way people use it. So that's, that's what the, the discussion here. So if someone's making this nether, he's not going to have dog on. Also, not only does it refer to the species of greens, the five species of greens are the very hushable ones that we're familiar with. Uh, the wheat, barley, oats, belt, and rye. Those are the ones, you know, we make the hamotzi on. You could have for matzah, chayv and challah. So our mayor's point is, dugan doesn't only refer to those things. Dugan is a, is a broader term. People use dugan to refer to anything which would be um, piled up and smoothed over. So therefore, according to him, it can be something like a dried Egyptian bean even. But the point is that people would, when they're doing it, when they're, when they're har- after they harvest the bean, the, cr- the harvest, the, the, the crop, they would pile it and then smooth the pile. So then uh, it, 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 the terminology fits according to Rabbi Meir. Bacham say no. That they say the way people use the word, dagon is exclusive to the five species of grain. So in other words, not even like something like rice would be included according to the Chachamim. Dagon, according to the Chachamim, is unique to the five species of grain. All right, so Machlekes, and the way people use it, according to our mayor, it means anything piled up and smoothed over. According to the Chachamim, it means only the five species of grain. Continues the Mishnah, Mayor, Omer, Mayor adds, He gives a different word here, not Dagon, but Tuvua. Tuvua is really like collection of grains. So he says, if someone says that they're going to take a nether not to have Tuvua, there the halacha is that they can't benefit from the five species of grains. It's a little bit redundant, but he reports his, he, he repeats his point, Ramer, that someone who takes a nether to abstain from Dagon, he'd be also to anything piled up like that in, in the granary. So Ramer is conceding to the Rabbanon that there is a word that only refers to the five species of grain, but he's saying you got the wrong word. You've been saying it's Dagon, it's not Dagon, it's rather it's Tavua. Tavua is the word, according to Ramer, that refers to the five species. Dagon refers to anything piled up and smoothed over in the granary. Now, what do the Chachamim hold about Tavua? The mission doesn't say. Do the Chachamim agree that Tavua is only the five species of green? It doesn't say in the Mishnah. The Chachamim say, Dagan is like that. What would the, what's the Rabbanon's view on Tavua? We'll have to see in the Gemara. Our mayor continues, It's Mutter, someone who said Dagan, where we say anything piled up according to our mayor, including, you know, even dried Egyptian beans, but you're permitted to have fruits from trees and greens because the fruits of trees and greens, those aren't stored up in a pile. Imagine you had a bunch of apples, right? You don't, you don't, it's not like a thing that meshes together. They're separate little, you know, globs like that. They're not going to, it's not like a pile and you go and smooth over. That's not the Gemara Malacha by, by fruits. Same thing with greens. They're not done like that. The pile thing is more to things that are pileable, you know, like the, the it's obviously grains, but even other things like we're saying Egyptian beans and, and things of the sort can be included. But uh, even Reb Meir would agree that your mother, if someone said, I'm not going to have dagon, it would be mother for him to have the fruits of tree and greens because those are not stored in piles. So the Gemara starts off and analyzes Rabbi Meir's statement. Again, Rabbi Meir's statement, was also to the Egyptian bean. The Memra comes to tell us the Dagan called the Migin Mashma. According to Rabbi Meir, the term of Dagan implies anything which would be piled up in the granary. 
Master Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef asked a question on this from a Pasuk. So we're looking at a Pasuk in Devei Yamim. The context is that there was a king of Chizkiah, and King Chizkiah was a big tzaddik, and he observed that the people, this is during the first base of Mikdash, he observes that the people are not uh, taking off Trumas HaMaisos the way that they should. So he made a special dedication that people bring the Trumas HaMaisos, not time to give it to the Kohen, but bring it to the base of Mikdash. And there was like great enthusiasm, and everybody was getting into the mitzvahs of giving off Trumas HaMaisos. So the Pasuk says, the Chafroz HaDavar, so the decree is spreading, right? Everyone's getting into it. Here from Israel, the Jewish people are giving extra. They're giving in abundance. What are they giving? Reishis, the beginning, the first of dog on of the grain, the wine, and the oil. Behold, tevuas asada l'rov. And it goes on to say that they also gave from all of the tevuas asada. So that's going to be important for her over for over here. All the tevuas asada in, in abundance, l'rov, in abundance, everything. So now let's break down. What does the pasuk say? First of all, it says they gave from Dagan, okay? And then it's adding at the end of the Pasuk, Tivuos Sadeh, the Tivua of the field. So now, like Rameir, what does Dagan mean? According to Rameir, Dagan means anything piled up in the granary. Not just, um, not just species of the, the five types of grain, but it means anything piled. So if you Dagan called to make it mashma, if Rameir would be right, that the term of Dagan implies anything piled in the granary, what's the purpose of the Pasuk saying that when it became widespread, they're giving as well the Tivua Sasada? And that's what the Rishonim explained, that the question of the Gemara is, specifically, if it says Dagan, why at the end of the Pasuk is it saying Tivua Sasada, the produce of the field? Once it Dagan already says anything piled in a granary, then all the produce of the field, which is mashma, all the fruit that's piled, even like something like an Egyptian bean, that was already included in the terminology of, of, uh, of Dagan. So the Gemara explains, Amar Bai, Lasui, Paris, Ila, and Vayarik. No. When it says produce of the field, it comes to include the fruits of the tree and the greens. Those are things which are not piled in the granary. As we said, Dagon only includes things piled. So they wouldn't have been called Dagon, the fruits of the field. Even if Egyptian beans, which are dried, are piled up and therefore would be included in Dagon. Or apples were not. So the Pasuk is saying that not only did they bring the beginning, the, the, fruit, the first of the Dagon, but they also brought all of the fruits as well. And it comes out a very interesting Chiddush because usually Trumas and Maestros, you don't have to give on a Daraisa level from those types of things. Trumas and Maestros don't have to be given Midaraisa from, from, from fruits. It's an, you know, it's uh, only a Dindra that they have to. But according to, to what's going on, Ramirez's interpretation of the Pasuk, that the whole Tvuas Asad is coming to include the fruits and the fruits and greens. It was extra like enthusiasm for the mitzvah. It went way beyond the letter of the law. At the time here in the in the in Tanakh, biblical times, and they're giving Trumas and Maisris to to Mimisakin and get everybody more into the mitzvah, they're giving it even from things which are clearly not obligated. And again, that comes out because Dagan already included everything gathered in a pile. So what's Tvuas Asad is saying? Tvuas Asad it must be that it's including uh, fruits and greens as well. Okay. Now we analyze further. So what happened after Rameir said that, that Dagan is anything piled? Rameir said, Tivua, Tivua generally only means the five species of grains. So the Gemara says, The Chachamim agreed to that as well. The Chachamim didn't say that. Right? In other words, the Chachamim were saying, Dagan is a word which refers to the five species and not everything piled. So the Rabbi Yochanan is saying, though, that everybody's on the same page regarding the word Tavua. Everybody agrees Tavua is only also on the five species of grain. Although the Chachamim didn't say that explicitly, they're on the same page as Rameir with that. Tanya Nami Yachri Bray says, Well, Shaman Benodim and Rameir and the Chachamim agree if someone took the vow not to have Tavua, Shein also he's also specifically the five species of grain. Says the Gemara Pshita, this is obvious. Why would why would we think the Chalman would disagree? Isn't that what Tua means? Tua means grains. Says the you may have said Maybe Tua can imply everything. In other words, the Gemara is basically trying to say maybe Tua can mean a sense of income. Maybe Tua means a profit. And the truth is, the Ron explains that if you take a look at Tua in Apostolic and in Sefer Bereshis, the Targum Unculus, 
who's an Aramaic translation of the word, on the word of Tavuah is alalta, which the Gemara is going to look at in a little bit of time, what alalta means, but it's a general term. It doesn't only mean grain. It means like income or profit. So you could say that Tavuah means any, any income. Maybe grain is uh, maybe more like the the regular type of income in the in the farming system. But but you would have said Tfua means anything from income. No, the implication of Tfua um, actually refers to grain. And <coughs> why is that? So it's very interesting just in understanding the etymology of the word. Tfua has a lashon of hava, something you would bring in your homes. So we know that that's from the grains, right? You have the grains outside and then you cut them, harvest them, store them, whatever it is, and eventually you bring them inside the home. So therefore, Tevua lahavi that's huva into the house. That's a reference specifically to the grain. So now the Gemara is coming out that Dagon was the Machlokas Rameir and the Rabbanon. Dagon Rameir says anything in a pile. The Rabbanon say Dagon is only the five species of grain. Tevua, everybody agrees, is the five species of grain. So we go back to the Pasuk that we just looked at. What did it say? When the decree became widespread, the Bnei Israel gave a lot. So first it said Dagon, and then it said Tevua Sasada. And we said Tevua Sasada means even uh, fruits and vegetables. So now we're saying, we're getting confused. We're saying Tevua only means the five species of grain. But in the Pasuk that we just interpreted, Tevua Sada meant all the fruits and vegetables. That's certainly very confusing. And this is a question which really we could have asked in Ramirez's view as well, what we said. We said, we're saying Tevua Sada was coming to include fruits and vegetables, but Ramirez himself said that Tevua only means the five species of grains. So Amarava, Tevua Lachod, Tevua Sada Lachod. There's a difference between the term of just Tevua and Tevua of Sada. Just Tevua means the five species of grain. But if it says Tevua saw that it, 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 it relates to the field, so then it's more inclusive. And then it, it, it includes um, things like fruits, fruits and greens as well. So it's very confusing in terms of all the terms. Bottom line is, Dagon is the big dispute. According to Rameir, Dagon is anything piled. According to Rabbanon, Dagon is only the five species of grain. Everybody's on the same page. Tavua is only the five species of grain. But uh, Tavua Sada is something which everyone's on the same page can mean fruits and greens as well. Says the Gemara story here. Bar Shmuel, Bar Shmuel Pake, the son of Rabbi Shmuel, gave a, uh, an instruction. This is like in his will. He said, the Litman Slates are Alpha Zuz of the Rava. They should give 13,000 Zuz to Rava. But Alalta of Naharpanya from the Alalta of Naharpanya. So, so, so Naharpanya is a place. And there was a property, there was a piece of real estate. And they're saying we should give the, where should the zizim come from? From the alalta of Naharpanya. So alalta means like something like the income, the income. So Shalcha Rava comes to real estate when he, when Rava heard about this will. So he said to Shaila to Yosef, What is alalta? What exactly, what kind of properties is meant to get to come to me? Amar Yosef said, What do you mean? It's in the bride. So because the bride so said, Everybody agrees. The mayor and the Rabbanan agree if someone said, I'm not going to have tvua. He's only asked for the five species of grain. So, so tvua only means grain. That's what we see. And alalta, as we mentioned from the Ran, alalta is the Aramaic translation of tevua. So alalta also presumably means the five pieces of grain. So Rava is allowed to get his thirteen, his um, his thirteen thousand zoos, not from everything, not from all the value of the property, but specifically from the from the grain that's on the property. That's the point. The point is, it said in the will he should get it from the alalta of Naharpanya. Now, what is the alalta? If alalta means any income, so maybe he could, you know, he could generate, he could rent the building, he could do whatever he wants and make money. But what, what, what Yosef is saying is that if alalta is the Aramaic translation of the word tevua, and tevua means only the five species of grain, so then his right to collect the 13,000 zoos is unique from the grain. He can't get it from any income, only from the grain. So I'm like, Abai, Abai said to Rav Yosef, me dummy, are the same things really the same? I know in Aramaic translation it's like that, but it's not true. Tevua means only five years of grain. Alalta implies anything which generates profit. 
If so, so he could do whatever he wants, right? He could rent the property of Hule and generate profit. So they brought back what Abai said in front of Rabbah. Amar, he said, You're right. It was never a question to me. You're right. Of course, I always knew Alata means any sense of profit. This is the question that I asked, though. What about rent from houses and from ships that, that, that they owned in Harpanya? Me, I'm reading on do we say, given the Paschal Lavalauta. Since what happened from homes and ships is that there is daily uh, deterioration when you use them. So income is not considered Alauta, meaning the point is Alauta is profit and improvement. So houses and boats, what happens is they diminish its value as they get older. So maybe the income that they generate is not called pure Alauta. Yes, I know that Alauta doesn't mean only the five species agree. That's clear. Alauta is more of an inclusive term. But he wants to know, could it, could it, could it, could it, could it refer to uh, rent that is coming from homes and boats because those things are deteriorate as well as you them. Since you can't tell, it's not like every day you could see how much the, you know, the home or the ship deteriorated on the daily basis. It's, it's, it's very subtle. Over a period of time of usage, there will be a loss to the, to the boat or the home. So since it's not discernible, so maybe then the income is considered a lot. So the, he, he wasn't saying a broad question here. It wasn't like, oh, it's a lot only the five species of grains. And Rav Yosef had misunderstood him completely. Rav Yosef thought he was saying maybe it's only five species of grain. Ravah did never have that. Ravah knew that Alauta means more than five species of grain. It was simply, he was trying to figure out that it include rental from homes and boats. So the Rabbanan then brought what Ravah said back to Rav Yosef. So Ravah basically was laughing at Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef saying, Alauta only means five species of grains. Ravah's laughing at him. He says, no, no, no. That, that, that's not even on our radar screen to discuss. Of course, Alauta is more of an inclusive. It means any profits. I want to know you specifically, does it include the profits from the rent, from the boats and from the homes? So there, in a certain way, it's a disrespect to Rav Yosef. Response. So Rav Yosef said, Rav doesn't need us. Why is he sending us a Shiloh? So obviously Rav Yosef is insulted, meaning his point is that if you, you already come in with a certain premise and assumption of what Alalta means. So stop draining us a cup about it. So Iqbal Rav Yosef, Yosef was very angry about the whole exchange. Fascinating thing there. I want to take umbrage to one another in the way that the halacha comes out. Rav Yosef thought he only meant the five species of grain. Rav says, I never meant that. I only meant could I generate the profit from the, rent, from the rental of the boats and the homes. Rav Yosef is not happy with this. So Shama Rava, Rava heard that Rav Yosef was offended. So Rav Yosef comes on Erev Yom Kippur to try to ask for Mechila, to try to, try, try to appease him. Very interesting Indian, just to mention very quickly, that the Post can bring out from this Gemara, from other sources as well, that the Indian of Erev Yom Kippur, say, ask Mechila, right? So ask Mechila, the Indian isn't only if you wrong somebody. In other words, it's not, you don't have to be in the wrong to, to, to have this, and on Erev Yom Kippur you should do it. In our scenario, it's not necessarily clear that Rava did anything wrong. Did Rava do anything which was wrong? He sent a Shaila, he had a specific meaning in mind. Rav Yosef misunderstood him. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said one thing. Eventually, it was a misunderstanding, a miscommunication of some sorts. Rava never meant that. Rav Yosef gets offended. Did Rava clearly do something that was wrong? It's not so clear he did something which was wrong. You know, like, Beinola Shamayim here, you know, did, whose, whose side would God take, so to speak? It's not so clear, you know, in the story. The post can say that the Indian of, very Tifa Izach, that the Indian of, 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 of asking Mechila on Yom Kippur, it's not because a person necessarily did something wrong. The Indian is that at Yom Kippur, we are meant to be like the Piyutim say, like angels, where there's no 
a, a bad emotion between human beings. To elevate to that level, you need to be av of aqla, the shalom pereyas, between you and your interpersonal relationships. So therefore, it doesn't really matter if you're in the right or the wrong. The point is that you should try to appease those who have, have taken offense to something you've done because you want to be able to attain that level of like being like an angel. So therefore, this is one of the sources that you want to be more, you want to be on everybody's good terms. You know, that's, that's the idea before I even kipper. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about, you know, humbling yourself in front of somebody. That's not even the point. It, it, it's, not, it's not like, oh, even you take the bigger, you're, you take the high road and you ask Mechila even when you don't need it. It's deeper than that. It's a much deeper Indian. The Indian is that to really be elevated to an angel, you have to be in a level where, where everybody's on good terms with you. So he comes, Rava comes to Rav Yosef, Rava finds Rav Yosef as an attendant who's mixing wine before him. So wine, right, remember back in the day, it was very... Uh, thick, strong concentrates, so they dilute it with water. So Amalei Rava said to Tenen, Havli, let me do it. I'm going to do it. And we're going to see in a second, Rava had a very unique way of mixing wine. He was very, he was like, almost like he was a good bartender a little bit. He used to have a very unique ratio with the water and the wine. So Havli, the attendant, gave Rava the cup, so Rava personally mixes the cup of wine for Rav Yosef. He also, Kikashasi, so Rav Yosef, I understand here, Rav Yosef is blind. Remember, Rav Yosef was, was senile at the end of his life, and he also, um, was blind. So he can't see that it's Rava who made the drink. So Omar, but when he drinks it, he says, This mixing, meaning I could tell that th- this drink was made by Rava, the son of Rabbi Yosef Barchama. So I'm like, who knew? Rava said, you're right, it's Rava. Meaning Rava speaks up. He says, I'm here. I'm like, Rabbi Yosef said to Rava, don't sit down. Until you're able to explain to me this following thing. So basically what he was saying, he was trying to instill a message to Rava. He's, he is appeased by Rava, but he wants to give a, send him a message. So he brings him a message, and the message is all about humility. What is the meaning of the Pasuk? The Pasuk says, I was talking about the Pasuk shot, is all the travels that Kala Yisrael went in the desert. So it says, they went from the wilderness to a place called Matana. So what is the meaning here of the Pasuk? And the question is that we don't find these these names, right? In other words, the Pasuk seems to be describing all the places where Klai Yisrael went, but we don't find that they made stops in these places. So Ambalei Rava said, but the idea is that if a person makes himself like a wilderness, a wilderness is open. That's the idea. You know, there's no community in the wilderness. It's open to anybody. There's no exclusivity. It's not it's not helping out one person more than the other. A person makes himself open to everybody. And the idea is he'll teach Torah to anybody. That's We're talking about Torah. So then, Torah, if someone is Mufkar, someone makes himself like a desert, open to teach Torah to anybody who would like to learn. So then the Torah is given to him as a present. Like, in other words, Hashem showers him with the wisdom. From the wilderness comes the Matana. Once the Torah is given to him as a gift, then it becomes his inheritance. It starts as a gift, but then it comes the inheritance that is given from Hashem. In other words, it becomes something like solidified. Once it becomes his inheritance, the person teaching the Torah becomes great. So a great height. But if the person then becomes haughty, he elevates himself in a haughty way once he has this inheritance of Torah, then Hashem will lower him. From Bamos down to the valley. Hashem will literally like stick him, sink him into the ground. As the Pasuk says, uh, overlooking the surface of the wilderness even lower. But if he becomes humble from it, then Hashem picks him up once again. Shinamar uh, says in the Ahmed Bezier, Kolge, you know, say every valley shall eventually be raised. So this is not a continuation of the Pasuk, but uh, that's what we're referencing to. So this is like a, a, a roller coaster here, the person being humble, then high, then sometimes it goes back down. I think it's always a big yisoid, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's a musr here in the Gemara, but it's also a wonderful chizuk that, uh, 
you know, sometimes we, we think our character is so written in stone, but to allow, to allow the experiences of life to, to shape and mold us, very much like Yosef. You know, it's amazing to learn this. You know, right? Yosef has that exact thing. He's on a high, he goes down to a pit. He's thrown in the pit, he rises back up at Potiphar. By the end of Potiphar, he's right back down in that pit. And that's, again, that symbolizes the rise, the fall, and that then eventually you pick yourself up again. That's, that's exactly what the Gemara is referencing. Tanya says in Brats and someone who made the net there, he's not going to get dug on. Also, Afapola Mitzri Yavish. He's also to have the dried Egyptian beans. Clearly, we're going like Ramir. The idea is dug and includes anything in piles. Umutter Balach, but he's allowed to have the fresh beans because those are not piles. Umutter Baoris is permitted for him to have the rice. Rice is not stored in piles. Rice is not considered to be dug on. The same is he's muttered to different types of um, different types of grits over here when they split the wheat kernel into different parts. Chilka targets and tisni. The Gemara, the Gemara Moikan talks about if they split it into different two, three, or four parts. But the point is the splitting of the kernels is very interesting because it comes from a wheat kernel. But what grits are is that they're split kernels, and once they're split, they're not commonly stored in piles. They're no longer called wheat, and the vower therefore is permitted to them. What do we do with grits? We learned about grits a little bit yes last week. Grits they usually made like that porridge out. Of it, but it's no longer considered to be dagon. Says the Gemara, someone who says, I have a vow of a nether not to get the fruits of the year, meaning the fruits which sprouted during the year. So, what are fruits? So, is also to have all fruits of that year. So, we're trying to say anything, even though it's not like a classic fruit, but anything which grew, and we'll see exactly what that is. However, most of the diamonds, lime of hollow base, and gold, that's be something which grew. You're allowed to have. Um, Kedayim are, are, are little baby goats, lambs, milk, eggs, and chicks, because those aren't things that are growing. Those are just, you know, alive things that, 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 that produce things. If a mamar gidulei alive, but if instead of saying fruits, he said the gross of the year upon him, then he's also to them as well. So meaning fruits, we're saying, are not, they're not including the animal products. But, um, if he's saying the gross of the year, it's also to all these things because it implies everything which grew. So even animals are things which grew, and therefore he would be also to these products. Continues the bride. So I know they've been a Paris art. Similarly, it's a related bride. So if someone said the fruits of the earth, so, so the fruits of the earth, it's fruits, vegetables. But it's mother for him to have truffles and mushrooms. Those aren't considered to be growing, it seems like, from the earth. But if he said the gross, not the fruits of the earth, but he said the gross from the earth, then he's also even in the truffles and the vegetables. So they're not fruits of the earth, but they're growths of the ground. So the Gemara explains, what's pshat? What is this idea? They're not fruits and vegetables. I'm sorry, the fruits of the earth do not include um, mushrooms, but if I say the gross of the ground, then it does. So the Gemara first ref, uh, contrasts this to a law in the laws of Brachos. So for a minute, we have a contradiction. It says, on something that doesn't grow from the earth, you say, what is an example of that? Salt and salt water, they don't grow from the earth. Or truffles and mushrooms, you say, so what's the Pshat? You say, and truffles and mushrooms, they're not gross of the earth. So if they're not gross of the earth, so why did the Brisa say that if someone said the gross of the earth are also on me, he's also in Kamein and Pitra? So again, Kamein and Pitra is the mushroom. They're clearly not fruits. That we understand. Someone who said I'm also on fruits of the earth, they're not also on mushrooms. But what about someone who said I'm also on the gross of the earth? So the Brisa, the Brisa said that in terms of nether, you would be also on the Kamein and Pitra. They are considered gross of the earth. But we're pointing out that the bri- that when we talk about brachos, we say that something that doesn't grow from the earth, you say shahakal. And an example of something which doesn't grow from the earth, that which you say shahakal on, is a mushroom. So you see a mushroom does not grow from the earth. 
So the Gemara says, they, 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 are having, they are having growth from the ground. But when they're drawing their nourishment, it's coming through the air and not from the ground. So what's the point that we're saying? Basically, there's moisture that comes out of the ground and they're going through the air to, to, uh, to, 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 to the mushrooms. So the point that we're saying is, that in a certain way, both are true. When you're saying that you shouldn't have a growth from the ground, so it includes the truffles and the mushrooms because they are coming from the ground's moisture. The source of the growth ultimately is the ground. The real source of it is coming from the ground's moisture. But Lamaisa, it's not going through directly the ground. It goes into the air, and from the air, it then is able to get to arrive to the mushroom. The mushroom, let's say, is on a bark of a tree or something like that, wherever it is. So it's not coming directly from the ground. It goes through the moisture of the tree, the, the moisture, and then and into the air. And then from from the air, it reaches the mushroom. So therefore, both points are true. When it comes to brachos, we're going to say, hey, that's not Gidol Haaretz. When we're saying, we're saying here about what's the growth of the ground that's also around me, we're going to be saying it includes truffles. So the Gemara doesn't buy this because Lamaisa, what did we say in the, when in brachos? We said if it doesn't have growth of the ground, then you say shahakal, and we said that's a mushroom. We're saying here it does grow from the ground. The, the nourishment is coming from the moisture of the ground. Maybe not directly, it's going through the air, but it is considered that the growth is from the ground. So ultimately, we haven't answered our question. The Gemara is saying, by Nidarim, we're saying that mushrooms are considered growth of the ground, albeit not directly. But, what, but in the air, by Brachos, we say, you say Shaakla on things that don't have their growth of the ground, and you're saying it's included, and you're including mushrooms. So the Gemara amends the text of the Brites by Brachos. Tani, Instead of saying growing from the ground, we say a word of yonik. Yonik means to draw nourishment. So the nourishment is not drawn from the ground. It's not the yonika. So it's very, very subtle here. There's a word of yonika, which means to draw nourishment, and a word of gidl, of growth. The growth is from the ground, but the, where the nourishment is not drawn from the ground, but rather from the air. So in over here by, by Nidarim, where the Lashon is gidl, growth. So it's the growth of the ground. So therefore the growth of the ground includes the mushrooms. But by brachos, we were saying where the nourishment is not drawn from the ground, there the bracha is shahakal. That's where we include mushrooms because the nourishment is drawn from the air as opposed to the ground. So that's why you just always have to remember this. The obviously mushrooms are growing from the ground, but they're not drawing their nourishment from the ground. And that's always the, the takeaway of the gemara. Very similar gemara and brachos as well. All right, here we go on Northern Menaxos. Continuing, just different terms here, understanding what's included. So somebody is saying that they're not, they're not going to have they're not going to have benefit from clothing. So the question is, what is included in the terminology of clothing? So mother basak, you could have sackcloth, be a real hamila, a certain sheet and a hamila, because even if they're made into garments, but they're very heavy and they weren't commonly worn, they're more like coverings of sorts, you know. So maybe some sort of uh, uh, protection from the rain, like an extra layer, but they're not referred to commonly as clothing. So therefore, they wouldn't be included in those term in the term of kisos. Someone said, I'm making a konim that wool cannot come on me. So what does that mean, wool can't come on me? He could cover himself with wool shearings. We're trying to say when he says that, that wool shouldn't come on me, he means wearing of wool. And he's referring to some sort of clothing. But if he just wants to cover himself with some wool shearings, such a thing would be permitted. Again, we refer to the way that language is commonly used. So when he's ossering that the, the, the wool from coming upon me, we assume that he's allowed to cover himself with wool shearings. If he said, that the flax shouldn't come on me, he could cover himself with different stalks of flax. Again, we don't assume that's what he meant. Rabbi Yudah Markolafiyah, everything depends in the context. Rabbi Yudah is saying a very interesting thing here, that language can be interpreted based upon the circumstance when it is said. So for example, 
Let's say a person is in the middle of carrying something. He's transporting something. And it's extremely heavy and he's sweating and his body odor is strong and it's a bad zone, right? The point is that he, he, he's struggling. He's frustrating by the experience of carrying something heavy. And he says, Amar, he says, I make a konam, I'm never again. Wool and flax should come upon me. So then clearly he's not talking about wearing it. He's talking about carrying it. He's allowed to cover himself and clothe himself with these materials. Because he's saying this while he's carrying these things and he's struggling to carry it. So if he said, I never want to have wool and linen come on me, he's referring to he's not referring to wearing, he's referring to carrying. But also but if he asked for him to tie them up in a bundle and throw them on his back, because that's what it's prompted at. He's prompted by the discomfort that he's experiencing currently from having to carry these things. So the Gemara elaborates a little bit. Tanya says it arrives. Someone who makes a nether, he's not going to have clothing. He could have sackcloth, sheet, and chamila. However, he can't have a sort of belt. Or leather shirts. These are different shoes. Those are pants. And a hat. All those things are considered clothing. So it's interesting. The sackcloth, the sheet, and the chamila, those are the outer sort of thicker garments. Those aren't usually worn as regular clothing. Sometimes a person might put them on for an extra layer of protection of some sort, but they're not regular clothing. But all these other things, the belt, the shirt, the pants, the shoes, the hat, those are all considered clothing. Says the Gemara, my iskruti, we, one of those things, we didn't know what it is. What is that? It's some sort of leather shirt. So now we discuss how this impacts the laws of Shabbos. Tanya, Yosin, on Shabbos, a person is allowed to go out wearing clothing. This is one of the lumdish things. A person can't carry on the street on Shabbos, but they can wear things. What's up, Shad? Isn't wearing carrying? So the idea is that clothing, since it's defined as, 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 being, as, as clothing, something which is adorning the body, something which is servicing the body, so it's not defined as an act of carrying. It's a super lumdish idea, but this is, this is the lumdish that it, whenever it's servicing the body, it's a malbush, so then it's not considered carrying, but to the contrary. You're not carrying it, it's servicing your body, and you can go out with it. So the Gemara says, well, now we have to know what's defined as clothing. It's fascinating. In the Dharm, we have to know what's, de- what's defined as clothing because we just said, what happens if someone takes a nether from clothing, what's included and what's not. So in Shabbos, I also have to know what's clothing because I have to know what I can go out wearing on Shabbos. If I go out with one of these things that isn't defined as clothing, so then it's going to be considered carrying. So the Bryce says, you could go out with something of a thick sackcloth because you could wear them sometimes when it's raining so here we go even when it's not raining this is fascinating even when it's not raining if you go out with one of these thick sackcloths that people wear in the rain so then that's not considered to be caring because this is something that is normal to go out with and since it's normal to go out with in times of rain so it's defined as something that's normal to go out and it can have some of, somewhat of a shame malbush for Shabbos and it's not caring so look at this contrast when you're saying the technical term what's called ksus in the laws of Nadarim, what's fitting in the term of clothing so we're saying that your mutter to these thick sackcloths that, pe- sack that people wear for extra layers of protection in the rain because that's not what people mean when they say clothing they're not referring to that sick, the thick sackcloth but when I'm talking about in Shabbos What's normal to go out? What's considered a malbush that's normal to be an accessory to the body? I don't care if it's referred to as a type of clothing or not. It all depends. Is this normal thing to go out with? And since at times, in times of rain, people go out with it, then it's not defined as an act of caring. So you see that split in halacha, where halacha gets very, very like sharp and subtle because is it clothing or is it not? Both Shabbos and Nadarim depend on it. But we're saying in Nadarim, the way people refer to the Nadarim, they don't include the thick sackcloth. But in Shabbos, since it's normal to go out with it in the rain, then it's it's not defined.
fine as an act of caring, even if you go out without the ring. You can't go out with like a, a box, or a basket or a mat, that you, even if it is raining. So meaning, let's say it's raining, and I want to put a box on top of my head to protect my head, and that's awesome. What's pshat? I'm protecting myself from the rain. The terrorist is that's not normal to go out that way. It's not normal to go out that way. It's not defined as an accessory to your body. You're carrying it so that you don't get dirty. That's not accessorizing your body, even though in the moment it's protecting you from rain. So if I go out with something that's normal to protect from rain, like the, six, the, the very thick sack law, that's what some people would sometimes do in the rain. So then that's mother, even if it's not raining. But if I'm going out with something that's not normal to protect from the rain, I go out with a box on my head. So then that's considered an act of caring. That's a huge issue. So sometimes people, you know, it's very relevant. Um, so just obviously this is obvious, but if it's raining, you want to wear a baseball hat. Of course, that's mantra. It's normal to go out. That's not even a chiddush. That's totally posh. But let's say a person wants to take a bag and put it over their head. That's totally awesome if there's not a scenario of an Erev. Harom Yotzim Besakim. The shepherds can go out on Shabbos with their sackcloth. And here we're talking about even regular sackcloth. In other words, they, they, they just don't... They're shepherds. You know, they're, they're sometimes they're, uh, they're a little bit peasants. They're not wearing the most fine type of clothing. So they go out with regular sackcloth, not even the type that's thicker for the rain, but just they go out with it. That's what they wear. Laurel Bavad, Amru, not even, even though, even though we mentioned shepherds, but it's really not only for the shepherds. You call them anyone. The Chachamim say it because that's what's commonly done. They don't usually have any other clothing. So that's what they wear. But the truth is that once the shepherds do it, so now it's, it's, it's considered clothing for everybody. And that's always the idea of Chazal. Once some, there's one sect of people who are doing it and it's normal, that defines normal, what's normal. And then it's normal, it's normal for everybody. So in Shabbos, super hard to define whole prakim and Shabbos, which are dedicated to this. But we have to kind of figure out what's a normal sense of attire. As uh, you know, a box is not, but sackcloth is. As in a darim, what's putting into the, but they fitting into the term of clothing. That's a whole different idea. As we mentioned, everything in the context. As we said, if it was a person was carrying something, you know, we're trying to figure out. He said, "Wool shouldn't come upon me." What does he mean? Wool shouldn't come upon me. Does he mean clothing, or does he mean carrying the wool? So we said it depends on the context. So the bride so elaborates on this Tanya. How do Rabbi Yudah say everything is according to the vower? I love Hashem of If a person is wearing wool and he's very discomforted, he's itchy, he's got some sort of sensory issue. And in that context, he said that I'm making a konim that the wool should come on me. Also, and so then it's also for him to wear wool, but it's more for him to carry wool. We don't assume he's talking about carrying. We assume he's talking about wear. By Ton Bishon Vizia, if he's carrying a load of flocks and he's sweating from the weight, so then Amar Kodim Bishon Olai, and he says, Kodim the flocks, I mean, Motor Lovash Rasalitza, and then it's, it's Motor for him to wear it, and it's also for him to carry it because we assume he's referring to the context that is discomforting him currently.